Welcome, welcome, welcome. You are tuning in to Let's Talk Hartford Public Schools. My name is Tyrone Richardson, known as Mr. Rich. I have been a public school teacher, a principal, and I'm now an executive director in my hometown of Hartford, Connecticut. Let's Talk Hartford Public Schools is a collection of conversations with hardworking, inspired, devoted members of our community who support the education of our beautiful and capable students. Each personal story is a thread. And when weave together, these stories reveal the strong net that is our Hartford community. In supporting our children's growth, community is everything. Let's talk Hartford Public Schools. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Let's Talk Hartford Public Schools. This is a new year. It's 2022, 2023 school year. I'm so excited. I got my first guest, guests of the year with an S. At the end, I have Miss Carol Gale. Um, who is our union president for HFT, that's the Harvard Federation of Teachers. And we have Victor Cristofaro, who is the proud principal of Burns Elementary School, but he also serves as principal of the HPSA, that's the Harvard Principals and Supervisors Association. Um, and, and that's the union that I'm into. So he represents me if I get in trouble. Yeah, All right, so welcome, welcome. How are you guys doing? Great. Awesome. And I'm Friday. sorry. Uh, it's Friday, right? <laughs> that That is something. And um, uh, I'm happy that you guys could both come on. I'm sorry for keep saying guys. I said I'm going to stop doing that when I don't have guys and I have a mixture of male and female. So thank you both for joining us. Um, let's just jump right into it, man. So uh, let's start with Carol. Carol, tell us about yourself. Where'd you grow up at? And, and um, where'd you grow up at? Let's start right there. Basically, I am a Hartford native, so I, I was raised in Hartford, went to No Webster School. I had a, a short stint where my family moved to New Jersey while I was in high school, but then I came back up to the University of Connecticut, settled back in Hartford, and have been here ever since. And I'm a, a proud Hartford resident, love this city, and a, a, a proud member of the Hartford Public Schools. I got you. So I didn't know that. Shout out to Noah Webster, the Wizards over at Micro Society. Um, I taught at Noah Webster. Well, no, I was a math coach at Noah Webster for a short amount of time. But all right, we're going to get back to that Hartford stuff. Victor, where were you born and raised at? So I was actually, um, I was uh, born in Buenos Aires, um, Argentina. Nice. Uh, and um, uh, it's kind of a long story, but we came in 78. We left and came back for good in 1980. And, um, and then I was raised in Hartford. I, um, I attended uh, Dwight school as um, for elementary school. I know yep. it's, it's a building that you occupied for a while. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and then I um, seventh and eighth grade at Burr. And then I graduated high school from um, Buckley High School. Buckley, huh? Yeah, you're a bulldog. We're, we'll give you a pass because you're a bulldog and you you were over on Wethersfield Ave at Dwight, but, you know, I'm representing Harper High, so I always got to, you know, we don't have any beavers on, so that's good. Um, so that, I appreciate you sharing that with us. Now, going back to those days in school, Victor, I want you to tell us who was your favorite teacher, right? You went through our public school system. Who was your favorite teacher? Wow. That, I mean, that's a tough question. I mean, we really had some, um, we really had some rock stars at Buckley and okay. um, I'll tell you that we had a, a, an English department, I believe uh, that was second to none. 
It, they, we had a very strong religious department. There was a, a teacher there, uh, Mary Bonin Barnett, who then um, I think did her her fine later years. I know, and and I don't even know if she's still teaching over. And she went to Pathways for a while, but she was an English teacher at Buckley, and definitely was just the t- the teacher that kind of set me on the right path, kind of set a really high expectation of me. And uh, really made me believe that that I could do more. Now, was English your favorite subject? No, no. <laughs> you like? I was a math it. guy, which, which is crazy. <laughs> I was a math guy. I love math, but um, to be to be fully transparent, I wasn't too impressed with any of my math teachers, which is uh, <laughs> which is crazy. So math, I, I wasn't. I didn't get along with the math teachers. I didn't like any of them. But um, English, which was not my favorite subject yet. If I name my top teachers, they would all come out of that English department, which is crazy. Okay. Uh, Carol, favorite teacher? Well, I, I have to say there, there's a few that come to mind. So okay. I, I was at No Webster back in the days when Mildred Lake was the principal. Her picture okay. still hangs in the library over there. And I have distinct recollections of Miss Reardon, my second grade teacher, sending me my very first piece of mail. She sent us all a postcard in the summer. And, okay. and that just, I was in heaven. I received mail. Um, I also remember <laughs> Mr. Austin. Everybody wanted Mr. Austin in fifth grade because he did special things. Like we did a, a play for the class and that just was exciting and made me feel like a part of something. Yeah. And then I have to speak to an awesome math teacher. I had Mr. LaMare who gave me so much math instruction in seventh and eighth grade that when I went to high school in New Jersey, I didn't learn a heck of a lot more. He gave me such an amazing care, amount yeah. of work. He was fantastic. So those teachers uh, all stand out for me from my days at Webster. Thank you. I appreciate it. See, Victor, all the math teachers aren't bad out there. No, no, <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> Um, so we'll keep going with you, Carol. As you move through school, what, what college did you go to? How did you end up teaching? Oh, that's a great question. I, I, when I was in No Webster, I wanted to be a math teacher. Okay. You know, Mr. Mr. Lemaire was so phenomenal. I was loving math. But then I got into high school and started uh, switching to more of the social work field. Okay. So I went to the University of Connecticut and Actually, they didn't have a social work major, so I majored in urban studies, loved it, though it was a little frustrating studying an urban curriculum from Stores, Connecticut, which is out in rural Connecticut. Mm -hmm. So I spent a semester in Hartford, and that was the best semester I had in college on what was called the urban semester, where we, we lived in the city, worked in the city, and studied in the city for the semester, which was awesome. And then I launched a career in social work in, in the Hartford area. I did a variety of social service type jobs. And then after about 10 years, started burning out, which is common within the field of social work. Yep. And decided to go back and pursue education. And in some ways, I sort of ended up combining both. I, I got my certificate. The only place I wanted to teach was in Hartford because that's my community. So mm-hmm. I was very happy to get a job in the Hartford Public Schools. And ended, And though I started in elementary school as a teacher, I ended my career as a 
social studies teacher, which definitely brought in all of that social work, social studies uh, training that I did in, in my um, bachelor's degree at UConn. And then, of course, I got my master's at uh, University of St. Joe's, and I got that in elementary reading. And how many years have you been serving us so graciously at Hartford Public Schools? I was in the classroom for 30 years, and now I have been two years in this position as president of the union. So 32 right. years now in Hartford. Excellent. Thank you. We appreciate the service. Uh, Victor, um, high school to where you are now, what happened? Yeah, I'm Husky, man. I'm a Husky. I went to UConn. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, yeah, so I went to UConn and um, actually originally wanted to, thought I wanted to be an engineer, mm -hmm. switched majors several times, and then uh, went into family studies at UConn, graduated um, in family studies, and then I started uh, subbing. I was uh, a substitute for a while. Wow. And uh, my mom actually, so my mom was a para. She, she did 22 years as a, as a para. Okay. Ironically, her last 12 were here at Burns. Um, wow. And yeah, so, so she was here and she had said, Hey, you know, they're looking for subs. They're looking for bilingual people to sub. And I thought, you know, I'll try it out. And I started subbing and realized that, um, that I, wanted to teach. I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do the rest of my life. Wow. And, um, and, and I have something else in common with Carol that, well, uh, I went for my master's at St. Joseph's college. I got my master's in special education and, uh, became a sped teacher for a while. And then from there, I, I was cross endorsed to be a math teacher. So I taught math at Buckley high school. <laughs> I went over there, went over there and showed them how to do it. I got you. I went, I went to show them how to do it. You know what? I, I think it was a motivator to say, um, I'm going to do things the way that I felt yeah. that they should be done and, and, and work with students the way that I felt was right. And so uh, I did that and, and then became an administrator. Did that for eight years at Buckley. Yep. And, uh, and then came here at Burns in 2016. So total it all up. How, how many years we got? 26 years. Man, yeah. we're doing 26 Wow. Years. wow. Yeah. Time flies. I, I am in year. This is my 25th year that just started. So, yeah, time definitely flies when it comes to this. But I'm and listening to the both of you, as we do with many of our guests that come on, you hear the backstories of your relationships with your teachers and, and how they influenced you and what motivated you to come and do where you are now. And it's just a testament to how teaching is a calling, right? And that calling hits us at an early age, somewhere along the lines, whether it was um, an inspirational teacher that helped me get somewhere or was the lack of a teacher that should have been present um, and should have been teaching me something. It's gonna come out one way or another. We hear these stories all the time. So thank you for sharing that. Um, what, what are schools like right now so now we're in the mix you guys have been in Hartford for a very long time you've been here you've seen superintendents come and go you've seen uh curriculum come and go different personnel um times have changed a whole heck of a lot over the last 20 years as far as um, media and access um 
what's the biggest thing that pops out to you in education right now? Whether it's a let's start with a, a, a positive. What's a positive thing going on that you see in education right now that has changed over the years? Um, and I'll start with you, Victor. I think that um, uh, just a, a focus to make sure that we educate and teach all students. Mm -hmm. And I think that when I created that my vision here at Burns, um, I have the word all in, in, in all caps, A-L-L, three capital letters, stressing that we are here to focus on all students, yep. anyone that walks through your doors. And really, um, I think that it's really has um, benefited, you know, our, our communities and, and our, and our students, because we're, we're really targeting everyone, you know? Gotcha. Um, Carol. I would say that the diversity in education, at least in an urban district like Hartford has been wonderful that to see children come into a classroom and be able to learn an environment with lots of different kids from different backgrounds. Um, I remember, you know, I've been, I've been in district schools, magnet schools, charter schools, pretty much every configuration. And some, some of the images that I have are like sitting in a classroom where there was this uh, student from East Hartford, a, a young gentleman of color, Mm -hmm. who had the best vocabulary in the entire classroom. And anytime there was a question that came up from any of the students around a word, everybody would turn and look at, at this, this young man mm -hmm. um, who just brought a wealth of information. Then there was a student I remember having in high school who um, was a white student from the suburb yeah. and had worked on a farm. And like, you know, to bring that into a Hartford classroom, I'd never heard anybody in my career, talk about what it was like working on a farm. So the the then those are two very small examples of yeah. you know probably you know thousand kids that I've worked with over the course of my career in all the different classrooms. But the diversity, racially, economically, uh, geographically, ethnically, that that we have increased in the last couple of decades through magnet schools and charter schools, et cetera. I think has been a real plus for education. Okay, so what is it that makes you say, oh my goodness, what are we gonna do? Um, I can't believe this is what we have to deal with in school now. I'll give you a second to think about that. I'll say it again. What makes you go, oh my goodness, what are we gonna do? This is what we have to deal with it in school right now because forget about when I was going to school, but when I first started, there was no way I had to deal with this as a teacher or an educator or my principal didn't have to deal with this. And now we got to deal with this and I got to help people navigate through it. What's one of those things, Carol? Which, which one? No, really? <laughs> I think that is the, the downside of where education is. We have as a society added more and more to the plate of education over the years from when I remember our requirement was to come in and give so many hours of instruction in basic academics to our elementary school kids to then 
you know, having to assess them more frequently. We went from once a year tests to, you know, now it's like oh, yeah. four times a year. Good point. Right? Yeah. So um, we went, there were times when we only tested in every other grade or we tested mm -hmm. in third grade and eighth grade. And mm -hmm. now we're testing every single grade. So, so there's the testing requirement. Then we had to start bringing in technology into our classrooms. I remember when the State Department of Ed said, all teachers have to be 15 hours trained in technology in terms of your your every five years for your recertification. And we had to start incorporating technology into the classroom. Then, um, you know, now, then we added advisory. Now teachers had to become mentors of students and had to develop student success plans and help students with their career development. So we're taking on a little bit of the, what the guidance department used to do. Teachers now today are being talked about trauma-infused instruction and having to be social workers, which, mm -hmm. you know, so, so the, the roles, um, and if I go back a few years to the bloodborne pathogen training, we've all been having to take for a couple of decades now. Yep. You keep seeing that the role of the educator is pulling in from health, is pulling in from guidance, is pulling in from social work. It's like, you know, we used to have to just be educators with a little cheerleading thrown in and, and maybe some pseudo parenting because you had kids for so much of their week. But now the role has really expanded. And within that come tasks, right? Just mm -hmm. you, now you check off this, do this, take this training, learn this, put this in your classroom. And that I think is the, the predicament that we're in now around retaining and keeping staff because the job has gotten to be very complex and beyond the scope of what people expect, which is to come in and instruct kids and teach them in their growth and development as, um, as children and youth and, and in their intellectual capacity so that they can go out into the world and take care of themselves. So I would say that, and Victor, I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna let you come with yours in a second, but I would say that those are things that especially as the world is evolving, some of those things are things we should be teaching kids and preparing them for. But I don't know if it necessarily should lie in that one teacher to have to have that responsibility. But I do believe that some of those things that are now we're tasked to do, do belong in school, right? We do have to have some things taught to us in school or to help us navigate as young adults, as we get older, we should, we should have that opportunity in school, but not on one person. And a lot of those things you right. mentioned, is that one person. And I remember having, uh, being a principal and, and having people come in and just with the advisory piece um, was like, hey, listen, you're coming in, but you know, you just can't teach math. We know we need you to do this second step lesson, or you know, we're gonna need you to do this STEM plus lesson. And, you know, having to make sure that they were okay with that, because even some of the content that gets discussed in a second step lesson or a circle, if you're doing restorative practices, some of that stuff that comes up, adults aren't ready for. So I appreciate you for sending that. Uh, Victor, what's what's changed? That's like o o OMG. Yeah, I mean, I first of all, I want to ditto everything Carol said. Yep. And, and really, our roles have just changed so much, um, even especially... You know, educators and principals, administrators, like we're just, our roles, we just, we're just stretched so thin with so much to do. But I think that on top of it, I would couple that with the fact with social media, with the technology that that's influencing our, 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 our students now and, and our, and our children and navigating them 
right? Everything we have and navigating them now through a world that seems to not like our community so much is um, to me is a really tough one, you know? What do you to, mean explain that, like our community? There, there's a there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of examples. Like kids have access, right, to a lot of um, images on on TV now. And and well, I say TV that they're all they're on their screens. I, I'm dating myself, right? On their screens, you're seeing. Yeah. A, there's a lot of images. There's a lot of a lot of examples of um, of of the injustices that are happening to in black and brown communities. Yeah. And and to me, you know, it's 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 a it's a huge task to, you know, like Carol, like we have so much on our plates, and how do I prepare, you know, how do we prepare our babies, right, for this world, where they're seeing so many examples of, you know, this world that hasn't been very nice to them, you know, and I think that. You know, um, given for us to have that task on our shoulders to make sure, you know, um, that that we do our part to to let first of all, to let our kids know what side we're on. Right. Because we have to separate ourselves from um, some of the, the 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 entities that are creating these inequities. Right. And. So I think that I think it's just it's just a really big task for us right now. Definitely. And, and I'll add to the question that I originally asked with that OMG, because from my level, of course, I see a lot of those things multiplied that you have in, in your building um, to the middle schools and then to the high schools and across our district with the uh, the vaping stuff um, that's happening now the drug stuff, you mentioned the, the social media and the phone stuff. And actually some of our schools are doing a really good job owning that piece back of with the phones and stuff. And it's cutting down so far this year as the year begins, we're in the third week of school with issues that happen throughout the day because kids have access to their phones and the kids are responding pretty well. Um, kids in, in, in a few of our schools turn in their phone at the beginning of the day and then they get it back at the end and they aren't flipping out, right? They're not going through withdrawal symptoms and, and looking for something. Uh, we probably have to still keep them energized because, you know, all of our um, attention spans are a little bit shorter these days when it comes to certain things, but they don't have their phones in a few of our schools and it's working. So hopefully we get to, um, we get to see that, that aspect continue. I want to talk about um, why I brought you two here on the show in the first place was to get into your leadership roles that you have in our district. And these are pretty important roles because um, unions serve as a powerful um, ally for members, um, whether they need support with a certain situation um, or they need guidance with something um, or they just need a group of people behind them to help them along the way. Um, and so we appreciate you for those, for those roles, but I really wanna know What's your role all about, right? Like first, what is it your job to do? And why do you, why do you want to do this in the first place? Carol. I'll start with why I wanted to do this. Okay. Kind of comes as a great segue from the changes in education. Okay. As educated, ed education began changing, you know, as I'd been in for a couple of decades, I started seeing 
that teachers were having less and less voice in their positions and in their schools. And the profession as a whole seems to be losing ground. And so the reason that I decided to run for union office is because I saw it as an opportunity both to elevate the voice of our educators as well as to strengthen our profession by taking such a leadership role. And so the, the role that I do assume begins with the basic goal of the union, which is to certainly work on hours, wages, and working conditions. That's been the historical role of unions. And so we negotiate a contract to yep. try and make sure that we're staying on top of those and then make sure that it's being followed and enforced. Beyond that, we also here at HFT see our role as really promoting the profession, trying to elevate and trying to reprofessionalize the profession. Because yep. in some ways that that's the trend that I was experiencing in the classroom, that as a professional, I seem to be getting less and less uh, credit for my professionalism, less yeah. and less input, less and less voice. So, so we are really trying to reprofessionalize the profession of all of our staff that work in our schools. And HFT does cover other chapters than teachers. We also have CDAs, um, security officers, substitute teachers, and our health professionals. So trying to you know raise that professionalism and be able to do that in a broader sense. So we also see ourselves very much as being involved in the whole community, that we're not just about one slice. We are here to support the whole school community, the whole Hartford community, because education is an integral part of any community, um, and to work in coalition and collaboration with others as much as possible, recognizing that there are going to be times when the union has to sit on opposite sides of the table on issues, because that's our role when that happens. And other than those times, we want to be, you know, putting together all of our collective knowledge, ideas, energies towards improving things because we want, as everybody wants, the, the best quality education in Hartford that we can achieve for all of our city youth. Thank you very much, Victor. Well, why did you want this role and, and what is your role? You know, it's funny. I, I really don't remember. I can't say why I wanted it when I first got in. I, I don't. You know, I, I'm, I'm, one, I'm somebody that really um, tackles life kind of instinctually. And it just, you know, the opportunity presented itself. And, and, I, and I took the opportunity. Didn't realize exactly who I would be and, and how I would work out in it, but I, I just felt like this is this was an opportunity, and my gut said take it, yep. and and that's how I ended up here. And uh, um, you know, similar you know to what Carol said, I mean, we you know negotiate a contract, right? And to me, like my role really is just to make sure that the district 
is following the contract. That's my number one role. I just, we, we basically, when we negotiate the, our group and the district, you know, basically shake hands on an agreement. And I just want to make sure that we continue to abide by the agreement that we both agreed to. Really, that's what it boils down to. Now, it takes on other avenues um, because part of my role has really become as, as someone who's been in this district a long time mm-hmm. and someone who's not been in the union a long time. I'm, I'm in year 10 now that I bring I, I can bring that experience. So when people bring issues, whether they're contractual or not, I can help guide them. I can guide them into in the proper direction. I can um, I can make them feel at ease. I, I, I have a pretty good understanding when an issue is presented on a scale of one to 10, I pretty much can tell them where they stand, how, how big or small their issue is based on my experience and, and put people at ease and, and really look to share my, my experience as much as I can. And then, and then the other piece too was uh, collaborating. I think that it's important because what I learned in my role was that I can avoid, you know, grievances, you know, and, 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 and other big issues by sitting down at the table and talking it out and working something out. And I think it, it, probably 90% of the time that has worked. So how do you enforce a contract where you know that particularly time off hours, a majority of teachers' times, a majority of principals' time, majority of my time is being done off contract hours, right? Like, how do you, how do we enforce something where we know we go above and beyond as educators, no matter what, anyway? How can we? And, and then you have those people who are like, "No, I'll I'll do that for my school to do that," and you have other people that are like, "Nope, it's two forty-five. I'm packing up and I'm out." How do how do you? navigate that when you know education is not that cubicle job of a nine to five, you punch in, you punch out where so much of your life and time around it is involved. Either one of you can answer that. So, I mean, I, yeah, I, I actually, I, I just actually had this conversation just the other day. And to me, there, those are two different, um, you're, you're looking at two different things, right? Job performance and contract. So the ex- Example is this, when, when I, um, and, and then I got to switch kind of hats, right? So as a principal, for example, right? So with my teachers, contractually, they're done, you know, 10 minutes after students leave. Now, it, does that mean that their work is done? Now, that depends on the individual. Now, contractually, I can't force anyone to say, well, you need to stay here and, and do ABC. Right. But what I can do is that, the next day, if you're not prepared to teach, then your, you know, your your performance is going to show, and it is going to is going to be poor. Now, I always say if 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 you can leave on time and still come here and and deliver a great day of lessons and everything's great, then there actually there is no problem, right? You don't you don't you don't have to worry about that. But if if you're if you're teaching, if your preparation is not on up to par, then I would recommend that you put more time into your craft 
Now, it's not mandated time that I give you, but I, but I, I firmly believe that everyone wants to get good at their craft and wants to be better teachers and wants to be better administrators. And, you know, the, 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 what blurs is now on the administrative ends, we're kind of, especially building level principles, you're kind of on the clock 24-7, right? Like you get calls at any time and, and it's a different it's a different ball game. So it's like, is it a mandated request from someone or is it like an emergency? Is it a, a, a human need, right? Something that you just humanly feel like I need to respond because I feel responsible for this. I want, I want the best for my building. I want the best for my students, my family, my community. So whenever I could put that time in, I'm going to do it. Um, and I think that that's kind of like what deciphers the two. It's kind of like, you know, you know, you, your contract dictates, you know, a general, you know, uh, the, the basic rules. Now, if you choose to do more, I mean, that's on you, right? Well, I, I think that, well, you tell me when you haven't been able to get your job done without doing that, right? You, you, yeah. you, you have well, to kind of do that. Okay, Carol. Exactly. This is, this is the conundrum that education faces. Working conditions are the hardest part of a contract to negotiate because mm. they're not as cut and dry as an hour or a salary or a benefit. So that some of that is contractual and some of it is the collaboration that we're in, you know, attempting to do as both Victor and I spoke to. And everybody knows that an educator's job involves homework, that there's no two ways around it. The, the problem we're facing, and it, this goes right back to what I was saying about trying to reprofessionalize the profession, is allowing professionals to make the professional judgment as to where and how they do that instead of mandating it. So, you know, every teacher I know either comes in an hour or more before school to do their prep work or stays an hour or two after school. And, and some, I mean, some, there are the early morning people who wake up four or five in the morning and do work at home before they even come into school. And there's the folks who go home, have dinner, and then spend two, three hours in the evening and do things. So, that the job is certainly a lot. However, part of what we have always understood is that it's also time limited, September to June, right? Mm -hmm. So that you, you work during that period of time, you put an extra, you're getting your salary all within 10 months, and then you have a chance to regroup, refresh, recharge. Um, that's what's missing now. The recharging and the regrouping isn't happening because the stress is just getting more and more. Um, so part of the difficulty, and if I could give an example that is contractual, is, for example, on hours. Staff in Hartford all have to punch in in the morning. So we, we take a time clock in the mm -hmm. morning. We do not punch out at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Right now, the district is monitoring that time that you're punching in. And they are looking at people who are five minutes, 10 minutes late, and they are saying something about it. But nobody ever says anything about the fact that I was there two hours at the end of the day. So there, so it's, it's a mixed message about 
we have to make sure that we are treating people as professionals as they are, where the job isn't going to be done within the seven and a half hours that our contract says we work. And same with administrators. You you have an eight hour day, but you're not getting it all done within that eight hours. Yeah, um, yeah. Right. You know, and, and you, not, I do and not say, treating people like they're they're not a professional. Right. You will say, though, and, and, and if you know me, I, I'm a big on attendance. I, that's one thing that I'm big on going to work. But you do got to say that how <clears throat> people do have to show up to work on time. Oh, I, I am not I am not discounting that. And, you know, there's certainly the difference between somebody who has a, a tardiness issue. And as right, a colleague, right, right. No, nobody wants to be covering somebody else's class all the time yeah. from the person who, you know, had something happen and yeah they yeah you know or somebody's got child care issues that you know every couple of weeks gets problematic or something like being able to understand the case by case and treating people within that and i think where you have administrators who do that we have better morale in business in in buildings and it it goes a long way so i want to dispel well i don't i'm not going to say dispel a myth but recently i've seen the two of you united at board meetings and other venues um, and will publicly say, you know, we stand together. Um, how did that happen? Because in my past, right, over 20 years, I've dealt with I've always been cool as a teacher with unions. I had a hiccup once I became a uh, um, an administrator. There was a little something that went out that I didn't like from our um, Hartford uh, HFT that kind of, you know, didn't believe in me as a principal, but I'm like, what? I'm, we're all in the same, you know, uh, family regardless, right? We're all about kids. So is there, is there beef, so to speak, right? And, and if not, how do, how, do we, how do we get along with each other? Talk to me about that. Well, one of the things that we did upon starting our tenure as officers at the HFT is to engage in coalition building. Because that's that's what that's what we're about. That's what we believe in. That we all have to work together. And towards that end, I started reaching out to the other presidents of all the other unions in Hartford, and asked if we could get together and meet and talk about shared issues. What are we facing in the schools? And this was in the height of COVID. I took over yeah. office in the summer of 2020, and so everybody was nervous about starting a school year under a pandemic. And that's how we began. And we we do meet. We try and meet on a regular basis as best we can to talk about other things that we share and recognizing that there there is, first of all, shared issues, that there is also a lot of power in understanding that issue from multiple perspectives, you know, because then we get a better sense of what we can do about it. And we also recognize that we're stronger together when we work on a solution and try and put that forward to the district. So, yes, we we do work very well together as a teacher union and a principal's union. And it's not to say that we haven't sometimes had to sit on the other side of the table from each other. Again, that's what our role dictates. But but the majority of the time, and I'd say, you know, 95 percent or more. Um, we're we're sharing and talking and collaborating and trying to work towards solutions that will be improvements for everyone. Would you agree, Victor? Absolutely. And I, I think that, first of all, um, I credit Carol a lot with um, 
as, as the leader of the biggest union in our district to uh, bring us all together. And I think that it was something that we were hoping to have uh, earlier with the previous um, union leaders. We didn't have that. I became president in 2019 and there wasn't even an acknowledgement from, from, from the teachers union saying, Hey, you're a new president, let's talk. Or, Hey, what, you know, what's, what are you thinking about? So we're very happy when Carol reached out, we're actually, we were thinking of doing the same. She ended up reaching out first. And, um, you know, I, I just want to, the, the, the one thing that I want to clarify is I just want to clarify how, how really union works. Right. So yeah. as an administrator, as, as president of the administrators union, my role is to make sure that um, for administrators that their bosses, right, in the, in, 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 in the district are, are not violating contracts, right? So that's my role. So when one of my administrators, if I feel there's a contract dispute, I'm going to say, hey, there's a contract dispute. Now, the relationship that I've always had with my teachers union here, my union reps, I always say as a principal, I'm, I don't intend, it's not my intention to violate a contract, right? But I might do something that, you know, the teachers union might come and say, hey, listen, I think it's a contract violation. Mm-hmm. And I might say, but I'm looking at it, I don't think so, right? And we have a very nice system created for a third party to make that decision for us. It's not, it's, it doesn't have to be personal. Right. It, it's, it's just about working and saying, hey, I, I'm not, I'm, I would never sit here. And, and I don't believe any administrator is going to sit there and say, um, I know I'm not supposed to do this with teachers, but I'm doing it anyway. They're doing it because they believe that that's how they're interpreting the, the language. Right. So it's, it's all about a disputes. Now, when Carol uh, or, or whenever a teacher grieves an administrator, the thing I want to clarify is that that does not pit Carol against me, right? That right. pits, that's Carol on one side and the district on the other side. So really, there's no, there's really no reason for us not to get along, right? right. We're never sitting there, we're, we're, it, we, our work isn't directly related. Now, what is directly related is our vision. And our vision is that we want the best for Hartford kids. We want the best for our communities. And we all want the best working conditions. And what we found was that the working conditions that Carol said, hey, you know what? Here's what we're dealing with. And we started looking at it and we're like, guess what? We have the same issues. And the parents are like, we're feeling the same way. And then, and that's how the commonality came together. And this coalition was built. So I, I appreciate the coalition. Um, and so I'm in a funky position. So first of all, in, in a similar situation, when I became um, principal at Milner a long time ago, I, I would you would want it to be where if I'm a member of HFT and, my, and I'm a teacher and I got an administrative role, I think the HFT should be celebrating that. Right. I did one of our own that was a teacher is now going into administration, running our schools. That's great. I had a really, really bad experience when I went from teacher to administrator. And so I think that and and that came from HFT. And so that hurt me in a way. But I'm glad that things have changed when it comes uh, when it when it comes to that sort of relationship now. Um, 
So I, I, I just wanted to put that out there, but I'm and, and I'm glad that Carol that you reached out to everybody and that you have regular meetings and that this is something we can help hopefully uh, build off on as far as our relationships towards one goal. So, but my other part is is that being from central office now, right, and still being part of a union to which I supervise people in, that's a little bit of a conundrum sometimes as well. So with that being said, as far as a shared interest goes, what are we gonna do about the teacher shortage? What is either union doing or what are your thoughts about what we can do about the teacher shortage? Carol. Yeah, just I, I just wanna make a quick comment oh, before Carol jumps in. Yep. That the conundrum you're in, I just wanna be clear that um, as you know, our principals have the same conundrum, right? Because they have APs that are in their union. Uh, right, you're, you're absolutely and, right, yes. And the one thing where the administrator's union is unique is that we're the only union that can gre- that grieves itself. <laughs> Think about that. We're the only That's union I mean. that grieves right. itself. And yeah. that that is a conundrum. And right. districts that are like huge actually have a different principals union, a different AP union, a different... Right. We're just we just don't have that size. So right. I want to I want to put that out there. And then I'm just going to leave Carolyn with saying, like, we actually just had a meeting with administration, uh, with, with um, cabinet together with Carol and Shelly and 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 talked about that very issue that you just brought up. So I'll turn it over to Carol. OK. Teacher shortage. And shout out to Shelly, too. Go ahead. Teacher shortage. Absolutely. Shout out to Shelly. <laughs> so. Teacher shortage is big issue. Retention and, and recruitment of staff has been an issue, and it's only gotten worse in the last few years. One of the things that the, the entire coalition has continued to push is to bring us in more, to hear from the people who know what we need, right? What parents need, what teachers need, what SSOs need, what administrators need. When we are engaged in the process earlier on, that input is very important in a variety of ways. One, having school-based staff involved in decision-making earlier in the process leads to better decision-making. It also leads to buy-in. It also improves morale. And it also creates better ambassadorship, if you will. I mean, part of what we are constantly battling right now is that people leave Hartford disgruntled. We don't want that. We don't want anybody leaving disgruntled. We want them leaving because of personal reasons or professional growth reasons and being able to say, hey, I had some great years in Hartford, you know, would recommend anybody to work there. So so we have to deal with that. And that's on many, many levels. You can't just look at that as OTM. OTM is one part because that's the hiring and the pay and the salary. And we do need to look at our salaries. In fact, we are working on throwing some suggestions out right now about engaging in that process so that it's not something that is only handled in the 60-day window of contract negotiations, but Mm -hmm. it's a longer-term solution that we need to be involved in right now to to make Hartford attractive. We also have to fix the working conditions. And some of that is, as I said before, it's not contractual. It's And yet there are things that we need to discuss and plan for so that people feel better and speak better about Hartford and then encourage their friends and their family and their neighbors to look for a job here. So 
there's there's many different avenues from creating more joy in the classroom to providing more autonomy for principals to create a, a school with an identity and a history and a tradition that's unique so that people feel connected to that school. There's certainly the need to figure out how to provide coverage in a better system than we are. So we're not stretching our existing staff so thin. So there's many layers that we can tackle this on that don't all fall into strict recruitment and retention by incentive pay. Like we have to, at some point, incentives are a Band-Aid. You know, they're nice. Certainly people appreciate some extra money, but the long-term solution has to be in the ongoing salary and working conditions that raise and elevate Hartford to be the beacon that it once was. It once was the place everybody wanted to work. I, mm -hmm. I would love to see it get back to there. Uh, and I, I echo the salary pieces around that because, you know, it, from this level, we're just getting beat down by other, uh, other districts when it comes to what they can offer their teachers um, for less experience. It's, it's amazing. And not just teachers, you know, another yeah, shout right. out to yeah. Shelly. Yeah. Our, yeah. our, we have a shortage in paraeducators para yeah, in and the salary is not at all competitive. So we, we need to beef up salaries on, you know. Every, and not just teachers. Yes, I agree with you as well across the board. Across um, the board. Salaries from custodians to security guards to everyone else. Thank you for bringing up that point. Victor, what do we do about this teacher shortage? I mean, I, I agree with Carol in terms of like, we got to improve working conditions, you know? And I think that, you know, for, for me, I, I, I guess I feel like um, I, I don't have too much power in, uh, you know, district wide in terms of a teacher shortage, but, you know, I could, I could do what I can to improve the conditions of my building to keep yeah. the people that I can to, you know, recruit as, as, um, as you know, as passionately as I can to try to bring in, you know, some really good teachers. And, but, you know, in the end, I mean, I just think that, you know, there's gotta be a way to, there's, there's gotta be a way to, and I don't want to say fast track, but really get people interested in the teaching profession, get them to, you know, it's, you know, I, I don't know that we're doing a good job of that right now. I mean, if you look at, you know, what's out there, I mean, it looks like a daunting task. Listen, if, I gotta be, if I got to be a social worker, uh, a healthcare provider uh, and a content teacher, as well as all these other things, then I'm really I really have three or four different professions in one and I'm not being compensated for it. No. Why and, would I want to become a teacher? And you have to layer on that the backlash against the profession right now. Right. The attacks on critical race theory and, and what teachers are teaching in their classrooms, all of which shows really no understanding of what teaching is all about. That, you know, then the there's a backlash on what's being taught in health classes. There's a backlash against how our LGBTQ students are being addressed. So we, we've been under a lot of criticism of mm -hmm. late. And that's also wearing on people in the profession. So as a profession, we have to do better at promoting ourselves, like what Victor was saying, to attract people into this profession. We have to elevate it, raise it up, 
improve the working conditions and then promote it for what it is an incredibly rewarding profession, you know, when it's well supported. It's very hard when today's society access is everything, right? So I don't need you to teach me anything that I can just look up myself. So the role has to change. And it's hard because with with um, history already being out there and, and like I said, everything being accessible, if I try to teach you something or I try to deny you something and you can find it and you can look it up or is it something that we're supposed to be teaching against? So I don't want my child knowing about that. It's all out there and it's so hard for all of us to navigate. But I don't want to get too negative. Right. And we, we got to wrap things up in a second. What's the most rewarding part of your day, Gail? most rewarding part is when I can make a member's day job experience better, whether that's providing them some support and guidance on the phone, helping them with a pay issue, Mm -hmm. or obviously when we get a bigger cross the board district policy, that is something that was desired by our staff, for example, we were able to negotiate a half of a day for classroom setup this year. And it was great to hear from members that they appreciated that, that it really helps that they had some time devoted to just put into their classroom. So those, those are the rewards, certainly. Okay. And Christopharo, you can do a reward. Let's hear a reward about, about being a principal, man. I want to hear that reward. I was going to say that that's a, I was like, I could go in both directions. You know, to me, um, Coming back uh, when the school year starts and I feel like meeting uh, are my families who's like, I feel like I've raised their kids. You know, I've been here six years now and we've truly have become family. And I think that uh, to me, the, the most rewarding thing is just, uh, you know, serving my, my community, serving my people, knowing that, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm their advocate. And, and, and I feel like, you know, from when I started, right. And, and people were like, well, how long are you staying to now this comfort of knowing, you know, he's got us, he's got me. Um, I think, I think that's, you know, it's very rewarding. So I'm going to ask you a tough one. Um, And I hope this makes the cut, right. Is there ever a time where, um, a member uh, tries to get you to see something their way and you know it's not good for kids and you know it's not the right way or something that was was blatantly wrong and you had you had to kind of like correct them on something rather than take their side on a, on, on an issue. I mean, you know, like, like, a, like ahead, another right. union member. Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, to me, you know, we always talk about when we talk about hard conversations, whether they're with colleagues or with anyone, I don't care who it is. If you stay centered to who you are, right, if you're student centered, if your kids first, it it, it doesn't matter who you are. If I have to tell you that ain't good for kids, you're going to hear it. Right. So even if it's your union member and they figure that you're supposed to be representing them, you still have to turn them away right i well not necessarily turn them away but you know what i mean there yes i think that you have a certain conversations behind closed doors yeah where you you tell them like 
here's where you're at. Here's what I can do for you. But I'll never advocate to, to the extent where, like, I'm not going to step to the table and say, I'm not an attorney, right? right. So I'm not coming and saying, no, uh, my guy did nothing wrong. Right. And everything is kosher. Never. I'm never going to take that route if, if you did it. But it's about saying, hey, you, here's what you did. Um, that's not cool. And now let me help you try to reduce the damage. Got you. Yeah. Let's own up. Let's own up to it. And let's present a plan saying, hey, we know my person knows they messed up. And here's here's what we're how, how can we resolve this? in the least damaging manner to the person. Yeah. And let, let's be clear too, as, as union leaders, yeah. we are, ch- we are charged with representing all of our members. Yeah. So the, the representation is not the question. We have to be there. Pardon the interruption. Oh, one second. Black Sonata license plate. Five, five, five. Oh, you have to repeat that again, Carol. That's all when this is over. Oh, we were doing good. It's not my car either. That was, that needed to be moved. <laughs> they said black. I was like, black. And they said, no. All right, go ahead. Not a problem. We're educators. We're used to interruptions. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So to be clear, the charge of union leaders is to represent all of our members in, in whatever comes up. So we do represent everybody. And there are times when we have to explain the contract to people, making sure that they understand what is contractual and what's not. So if it's contractual, yes, it's very clear. We can then engage in a grievance process on a contractual issue. Or as Victor said, we also try and do as much as we can negotiating things before we have to go to the formal process if we can resolve them. Then there's all of the things that are not contractual that we help people understand what we can and can't do right. We can try, yeah. but if it's a managerial kind of an issue, then it's up to the negotiation process, so to speak, informal, informally, trying to talk and advocate and see if there's something that that can be done. Um, I, I would say that our members, because they're you know they're educators, they all come from the same desire and goal of wanting to improve things, wanting things to be fair, wanting things to be done in a way that's going to improve the morale in their building. And, you know, sometimes we do have to make sure that they just understand the constraints of what a union can do and, and where it's, it's more up to their own professionalism, right? What, what can they do in raising their voice? And I would say that is another piece of, of what we do is try to empower people to step into their professionalism and to speak up and to advocate within their buildings for the things that they see, because they know better than anybody what the kids in their classrooms need. So I, I just want to make sure, though, that when 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 we know a member may be, again, doing something inappropriately or taking advantage of a situation or doing something that's not right for kids, that we also, you know, counsel them as well. Like, this is what you should be doing in case you're doing something wrong, right? That's what a union is definitely, for. Definitely. Yeah, I, I guess I wouldn't frame it that way, Tyrone, yeah. in terms of yeah. I don't think anybody intentionally does something that's not good for kids. Yeah. I do I do think that as educators, our job is also to educate our members. And we Absolutely. do. And we have to educate them 
oftentimes around the very difficult issues that we have already discussed on this call. How to use social media as yeah. an educator, yes. how to how to deal with diversity in your classroom, yes. how to be culturally sensitive in the in the era of Black Lives Matter. Like there are definitely how, how to be able to to incorporate LGBTQ kids into one's classroom. These are not easy topics in general for our society and for an individual they they do sometimes create some tension and so yes we are we are always seeking to continuously improve our members practice our own practice and our educational system all right i'm going to give you guys a chance to shout out your other members so victor you go first who are the members of your eboard so my vice president is Gerardo Heredia. My uh, treasurer is oh, Nelson he's Romero. He's no, he's not. What, what do they do? Oh, I'm sorry. So uh, Gerardo, um, sorry, I, I don't know. His, he's going to kill me. I, I don't know, know his that's, title. That's me it's attendant, something or other. Uh, <laughs> he's a big shot now at central office. Um, I have um, Nelson Rivera, my treasurer. He's also the uh, special director. Uh, corresponding secretary is Tracy Saperstein, who's also assistant principal at Kinsella. Yep. Uh, Nicole Jones is my corresponding secretary. I'm sorry, uh, Tracy's recording. Nicole Jones is corresponding. She's assistant principal at Global. Oh, boy. Yep. Lita Mendez, who's my, um, uh, she is the uh, also a SPED director. She's our COPE. Uh, we have Jasmine Harding, who's an assistant principal. She's my she assistant principal at Milner. She is the parliamentarian. And we have two auditors, Lori Minnick, who's assistant principal at Pre-K Magnet, and Leo Watson, who's principal at Milner. Wow, you, you guys are deep. Shout We're out deep, to Milner, man. Too, and that's it. Just seven about. people. No, I, I yes, like Milner, yes. man. My Milner people represent, and I see that. And Carol, who's on your board? So I have my awesome VPs, Corey Moses and Stuart Beckford, who work full-time for the union with me, we're all on what's called detached duty. Yep. I also have on our executive board, we have Melissa Yenny St. Just, who is the um, third vice president, and she is a phys ed teacher at Classical. Yep. Our secretary is Steve Tatum, who is a teacher at HMTCA. HMTCA. Our treasurer is Shakira Perez, Classic. who is a teacher at Classical. We have two area coordinators, Bridget Allison, who teaches at Hartford High, and Richard DeMay, who teaches at uh, Global. We, we have a third position that's vacant right now. If any listeners want to become our area coordinator, let me know. <laughs> okay. And then we have a vice president of special projects, Saida Ray Fisher, who is okay. um, a coach. Coach. Yep. I think she's at Annie. Fisher, Montessori, and Rawson, yeah, or maybe, maybe West Middle. I forget. She changed no, West school. Middle, West Middle, and Annie Fisher step. There we go. Very good. <laughs> and did I get everybody? I hope so, because you're so. going to hear about it if you didn't. <laughs> you hear about it if you didn't. Um, no, but it's good to know those people. Um, definitely know a lot of people in the group that that's stepping up to to handle that. And then just so clarification, how clarification goes. Um, E-board members, I know it's an extra duty, right? So you got to get paid extra, right? In a case like Victor, you're running a school. 
And then you got to pick up the phone at the same time and answer that email and mm-hmm. do all that. But Carol, you have doubt. I mean, it does, it's one thing to have the assistant, you know, the, the administrators on, right? That's, that's close to a hundred or a little over a hundred. Right. And mm-hmm. then you have a couple thousand Carol. So you need to do this full time, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you and your two vice presidents step away from teaching and then go into this job full time. That is correct. And it is okay. more than full time. I, I see. That's what I mean about that extra hour stuff, right? That, oh, that's it, it's twenty four seven. Yeah. All right. Let me get you out on this. Um, give me something that you guys have been uh, watching. Give us something to watch. Give us something to binge on. That if it's a long weekend and as it starts getting cold and we starting to snuggle up, Victor, what should we what should we be watching? Wow, man. I'm like, I don't know if I should put it out there, but so I'm yeah. a big Marvel fan, man. So no doubt. Right now, it's about She-Hulk. She-Hulk. <laughs> She-Hulk. If you're okay. not watching She-Hulk, man, get on that one. She-Hulk. Explain to everybody the premise of She-Hulk real quick. Well, um, it, it veers from the comics, so some of us have a little problem with it, but her, um, you know, her, her, her cousin is uh, Bruce Banner, who's the Hulk. Yep. And uh, they had an accident, and um, his blood mixed with hers and she became She-Hulk. And um, it's actually very, uh, very cool. She's a, she's a She-Hulk attorney at law. She's an attorney. Um, so uh, very cool though. We're glad yeah, to see uh, quote unquote bad guys, right? Yeah. We're glad to see uh, um, some more representation in Marvel. Yeah. You know, they've been, they've finally uh, caught up with the, the program. Got a lot more female characters there, but um, definitely, uh, a funny, a fun for, for those of us that grew up with comic books and in the good old days, uh, a lot of fun. And um, she breaks what they call that fourth wall. So she actually talks to the talks screen, to the camera, which is yeah. <laughs> very funny. It's it's really funny stuff. And I, I just it's a fun, relaxing thing. So when I'm not, you know, to me, relaxation should be about, you know, uh, taking yourself away from the work. And I to me, it's I guess I just love watching those Marvel movies. Listen, I'm I'm with you on that. I was watching a football game last night, so I got to catch up on a new episode of She-Hulk. So I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. Carol, what you got for us? Wow. Well, it's an interesting one because usually I like to watch kind of historical social studies related things like Madam Secretary or Mm -hmm. uh, The Crown. Right. Those are great. Um, Lately, I've got I, I also enjoy fantasy and sci-fi and lately i've really gotten into watching the 100 i don't know if you're familiar with that at all it's a dystopian anti-nuclear apocalyptic kind of sci-fi fantasy world is that the plane crash was was there a plane crash in that one no it's 100 years after the nuclear holocaust and um it's a group of people out in space on an ark that are running out of oxygen and so they come down to earth and then they meet with other people that actually have survived on earth. And it's, uh, it's wild. It's uh, so they've been going not for, my usual going for kind of thing time, that right? I watch, but I love it. Huh? But they, were, they were going for all that time. And when they came back, is that what it was? Yeah. They, okay. they come, they come back to earth and find that there are people who have survived on earth. And That's so earth. where do we find that at? Netflix. Netflix. Yes. It's called the 100. Because okay. they started by sending 100 children down to Earth that's, as a test. Ah, uh, got you. Got you. Okay. Yeah. And that's a series. 
it's a series. I think there's like seven seasons. I'm oh. only in in us in the third season. I want seven seasons. Got to catch up on seven seasons. Ridiculous. Well, I've been watching. Uh, we just started watching the uh, the prequel to um, Game of Thrones. So that's been uh, pretty good as well. And why it's escaping my mind what it is, but um, that's what we've been watching right now on HBO. Uh, and if this is the last question I'm going to ask, if you happen to be in a school and Victor, you're out of school, but Carol, if you happen to pop into a school, what do you hope they're having for lunch that day that you can have? Victor, you go first. That's such a great question. You know, when I started teaching, this wasn't around when I was uh, when I was a student, but when I was teaching, I heard of the, the, the combination I thought was the craziest thing in the world, which was a pizza bagel. And I just thought, how in the world does that work? And wow, it had to be the best thing I ever had. So <laughs> I'm all about the pizza bagel, man. Pizza bagel. <laughs> all right, Carol. Well, I have to say that in my 30 years in the school, I've never eaten a school lunch. Are you uh, kidding me? Are you well, kidding me? But, but based on my students, I would go for the French bread pizzas. They the love those. That's a good one. Without eating lunch. Oh, I eat. I bring my own lunch. No, I mean, but this, you you haven't had the beef patties. You haven't I had don't eat the, meat. Sorry. The French toast sticks. <laughs> the uh, I, I will say, I will say that I I was um since since my early twenties I was ve- I've been vegetarian and I've um I've since become vegan. So there's very little I could eat now, but right. um I have veganized the pizza bagel. You can make it <laughs> vegan style, and it's still very good. Gotcha. I don't know who thought of combining pizza and bagels, but man, is that that's, good. That's, that's your joint right there. All right. Well, listen, <laughs> we've been on long enough. I appreciate both of you for coming on. We've been speaking with Carol Gale, president of HFT, our Hartford Federation of Teachers, and also Mr. Vic. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even, I don't know how I missed this. Dr. Victor Cristofaro, okay. <laughs> the principal of Burns School and also the president of our administrators union. Thank you both for coming on. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us, Tyrone. That's a wrap. You have just finished an episode of Let's Talk Hartford Public Schools podcast. To listen to more conversations from the Hartford, Connecticut education community, search Let's Talk Hartford Public Schools on your favorite podcast platforms. We are also streaming on WQTQ.FM and Hartford Public Schools website. Remember, stand for something or fall for anything.